Want to see the stories that we have on the list? Hey, do you want to actually suggest a story to put on the list? The place to do that is superhumanregistrationpodcast.com. The world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. So, which, which order do we want to talk about these books in? I think the straight adaptation first. Start with familiar ground and then go to the, you know. Okay, I wasn't sure which would make for a better. Let's, okay, so let's do that then. Yeah, we um, should talk about the Japanime first. Yeah, we'll talk about the Japan anime first. <laughs> I have not been watching too much anime recently, I gotta say. Although, although, um, I actually did make my wife sit down and my watch. Wife. My yes. wife. <laughs> you see, it's not funny when you do it, John. I know, I just wanted to do it before Alda did for once. <laughs> I know, I know. And I just committed to it. I just wanted it. I, I was backing you up in solidarity. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Um, but anyway, I made my wife uh, watch Mirai with me. Oh, what did she think? She did not care for it. <laughs> oh, it's dang. And sad and funny. Like, all the one I saw that, I think that might have been the last time we hung out before you moved. Yes. Like, in person. Yes. Um, you showed up to my wedding, but, like, we didn't actually hang out after that. I don't no, think. that was impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what was impossible? Hang, like, hanging out. <laughs> you don't hang out with newlyweds. Oh, yeah, fair. exactly. You lose fair, your friends fair. for about six months That's, or a year. And but then, like before, yeah. that was that was months before I actually got married. But anyway, Aldo and I watched Mirai in the theaters, and like we were both like laughing the whole time, and got a little misty eyed. And it's funny because like I'm watching it with my wife, and she's just like you know just not really reacting to it animation is an uphill battle with my wife anyway like that's not her thing at all and she's very very patient to watch it with me um show her kubo yeah i'm actually not sure kubo would make a, a difference honestly steven i mean i, I don't want to i don't want to pry but <laughs> <laughs> i said kubo i didn't say kujo i said kubo oh yes i know i'm aware i understand the difference between phonemes <laughs> Man, I forgot I can't out-nerd an Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, oh. man, and so it's like, if we're going to enjoy stuff together, like, we have to, like, there are, there are certain things that we find that we enjoy. We went to the symphony last week and had a great time. Nice. We both really enjoyed Jojo Rabbit. We love going to plays together. We love, like, there's a lot of stuff that we love to do together. Cartoons just just don't really work for her. What's What's her thing that you don't like? Hasn't been one yet. Steven, you gotta get. You have, you gotta get you have to find something. You gotta yeah. pick one just on principle. You gotta take the power back. <laughs> you need That's a bargaining like, chip. Did Zach DeLaRocca teach you nothing? I guess. Okay. If there's one thing, um, and it's not even really that I don't like it. It's just that I haven't tried it. Um, she watches a lot of Spanish language telenovelas Ooh. on Netflix. Oh, Steven, as much as I want you to love those, you gotta hate them on principle. <laughs> you need to have a bargaining chip. <laughs> I don't want to hate them. Yeah, yeah, take take advice from the from the single guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh you know you know what movie you should watch with mm. with her? Um 
she I, well I don't know I don't know what her sense of comedy is but I love it because I love Spanish telenovelas I grew up with them um, Casa de mi padre yeah I heard that was done like serious it wasn't like just played for jokes yeah it, it, depending on how you feel about that movie it could feel like a joke that's going on too long um, but it's a movie it's a Will Ferrell movie uh, where he plays like the son of a of a of a farmer or a rancher. Um, but they brought in all of the, all of these big like telenovela superstars, and they play it like a straight telenovela. Like it doesn't feel it doesn't seem like anybody's in on the joke except for like the people producing it and watching it. Because um, there's a really good eye to detail, except like one joke at the end where you're just like, uh, okay, that's not something they would really do in that way. But like they do a lot of things that like telenovelas do, like all of the dramatic conversations and the and the dramatic turns. Um, one of my favorite scenes is is a bunch of them are talking and uh, uh, what's his name? Gabriel Luna, um, Cassian from Rogue One. Um, is that his name? Gabriel Luna. Diego Luna. Diego Luna. Thank you. Diego Luna. Uh, his character is like it's three characters having a conversation. Diego Luna's character is at a standing by the wall somewhere else in the room so the other two characters are in the same shot and the whole joke here is that because of the tight recording schedules a lot of the times they have to insert like the third character into the scene in post um so it's these two characters having like a conversation and every time they need to get input from the other guy like it cuts to him standing by himself at this wall and he's just like yes i agree and then they cut back and they continue the conversation and then it cuts back to him, and it's like that same clip of him going like, "Yes, I agree." <laughs> so they, they're, so it's kind of funny, and in, in like they're making fun of telenovelas, but you can tell it's done by people who like get them. Interesting. Yeah, um, it was on Netflix, I think, last time I saw it. I don't know if it's on there still, but um, and Will Ferrell speaks in Spanish the whole time. Oh, that's definitely interesting. Yeah. I'm not gonna say he does a good job, but A plus for effort. <laughs> no, you know what's yeah. one of those things where it's like, you know, I don't think I would find it entertaining, but I think you'd have to admit that like it takes a certain kind of like comedic genius to like, commit to that kind of a thing, you know, and like the act of doing it like sets Will Ferrell apart from you know from other comedic actors, I think, or you know, yeah. improv, improv actors where it's like I'm gonna, oh, yeah, I'm gonna do another movie. I'm gonna do it completely in Spanish. We're going to do a telenovela. We're just going to lean right into it. And I think it's funny because you think the joke is going to be that, like, he's the only white person in the family. But that never comes up. Like, he's just part of the family. He is, like, the son and the brother and whatever. Um, And there's even, like, a part where he has a conversation with, like, uh, with an American police officer. (laughs) And he's speaking English. uh, And he turns over to Will Ferrell. He's like, you speak American, boy? And he's like, no, senor. <laughs> it's real dumb. Uh, I like that movie a lot. <laughs> you know what movie I like a lot? What movie do you like a lot? I like Star Wars. A Cats. Lot. <laughs> no. Oh. Cat Wars. <laughs> yeah, actually, John, yours was better because that makes for the better segue. Oh man. Hey, who are we, guys? <laughs> we are, th- are the Superhuman Registration Podcast. Yeah. Good. I didn't know what you were fishing for. I, I well, we were segueing straight into Star Wars, so I thought we should unsegue back to the introduction. Yeah. <laughs> so 
We are nominally a Marvel Comics podcast. The thing is, Marvel now has the distribution rights for, like, the Star Wars comics. And not just the new comics that they started publishing around the time Episode 7 started. They also have a lot of the old comics, too. So if you have Marvel Unlimited, you get to read a lot of the old Dark Horse comics that were published. And some of them, I think, were actually published by Marvel at the time. But regardless, we got some Star Wars comics to talk about in honor of... Star Wars Episode Nine, The Skywalker Who Loved Me, or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker, or How I Actually Learned to Love the Force. <laughs> Star Wars 2, Electric Boogaloo. Um, you, <laughs> a friend of mine is an artist, a concept artist, and he works for Universal for their theme parks. Um he also is a, a film buff, and you should check out his work, Timothy Anderson Art. But he has he did all all three of the original trilogy as like pulp novel covers, oh. and I think the first one is like the purloined plans or whatever, and like Leia's you know in her outfit, but more like a femme fatale. And there's like little like this. I think the serial number on there is the uh, date the book came out. Like little details like that. Really cool stuff. So, but um, nice. Yeah. He's a, he's a Star Wars and Blade Runner um, fan, and I just read that tomorrow, as we're recording this, November 20th, 2019, is when Blade Runner happens, so boy, tonight's oh, yeah. going to be rough on uh, <laughs> getting, us, <laughs> getting us to a matching society. So, so let's talk about, I think we're going to start with, we mentioned last time we're going to read the New Hope manga adaptation, and so John, I think you agreed to do the summary for this one? Yeah. I'm familiar with the Star War, you know. So, I, I was thinking about how best to summarize this, and looking through. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. Now, that is capitalized. It's going to come up later, so pay attention. During the battle, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Emperor's ultimate weapon, the Death Star. Full caps, guys. Death Star. Subtle name. I bet it's dangerous. An armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Oh, there you go. Okay, right there. Yeah, right. Uh, pursued by the Emperor's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I am hooked. They got this, like, Flash Gordon text through this through the space kind of thing going, and uh, <laughs> it is um, rad. This sounds cool, but I'm not really invested. Is there something before this? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is God said let there be light and then this story happened. Nothing nothing at all. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm gonna Google. I don't this doesn't sound this doesn't sound legitimate. I okay, so here in all seriousness, <laughs> I've never uh, read manga before and I <sighs> I, I really liked it <laughs> like and, and it's and, it, and it's a, it's a problem because this is not a fair judge of I mean you guys tell me if this is like stereotypical of manga or not but I I mean I love Star Wars it's more than a movie to me and I loved this and I think that they did some interesting things with it I think that they were able to use this medium to tell the story just different enough that I, I was interested through it and it like you know, made some moments more action packed and, um, 
you know, it was interesting to see how, like, the style changed for some of these characters. It's really interesting that Darth Vader was not changed, like, at all. <laughs> they just were like, can't mess with perfection, let's leave him alone. And then everybody else was, like, a little bit, you know, big eyes, little mouths, you know, like the anime style. But I don't, I don't know, I really liked it. And it's, it, it like, I don't know if that's on the recording earlier that Aldo said, but it is a straight-up adaptation. Um, you know, the, to the, the point where it basically uses the script. Yeah, yeah. And some of the same shots, even. Yep. You know, very, very close. So if you if you can't watch the movie, but you have some time to read it, here it is. Like mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, enjoyed, you know, how it like was told in this form. I think it's a good adaptation. I think that that's rare. I think that uh, um, it could have been greater if they had, you know maybe i don't see i don't but then it, they would have changed it and then it would be glaring like oh why did they do this differently uh, uh, you know i don't know it's tricky to say there are some some uh things where they do like pet like the scenes will do parallel and what some of the later issues because they break it up this ends when um o- uncle owen and aunt Beru die the next one ends i think when vader realizes that uh, obi-wan kenobi is there and then the, the next issue, I forget at what point, like when the Death Star shows up at Yavin and then they have the last the last fight, uh, something like that. But they, um, four issues tells the story of the first movie, uh, like, I don't know, it's, it's a straight up adaptation. It's pretty much, it's almost frame for frame. Yeah. Almost, but, yeah. But I, I, I don't s- want to be like, and, and like, it sounds on paper like a little derivative, you know, and maybe you could call it that if you're being uncharitable, but I think that it's really cool, like... It was fun to see this story that I know so well with the words that I, you know, could hear in my head, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of the lines because they every line is in here and um, seeing it just different enough, you know, I think if it was if it was any closer to the movie, then it wouldn't be any good. But it was, you know, the paneling and uh, breaking up some of the action scenes and like the like, like punctuating the lines uh, across panels in kind of a like more melodramatic way I think I don't know you guys tell me I've never read manga before what are we seeing a good example of it here are we seeing uh, let's talk about that so stylistically I would say yes like this this is what manga tends to look like um it does strike me and although you're probably even more well read in manga than I am uh that said I am staring at a shelf of manga while we record this um <laughs> Got the entire collection of Yotsuba there. It's pretty dang good. Oh, it's um, adorable. Oh, it. man, it's so good. But anyway, like, this does strike me as sort of an older style. So we're talking, like, 70s or maybe 80s manga as opposed to, like, what we would see contemporarily, like, today. Yeah, so so actually, like, so a couple of things. Like, so this is actually in 1998, I believe, is when this is from. Yeah. It is modeled on the special edition of... A new hope. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so so there's like a so there's like a couple things, right? So it's the nineteen ninety eight, but it does kind of and I don't know if that's the artist. I've never seen anything from him, uh, or her, uh from them. Um <laughs> But uh Hisao Tamaki, I've I've never read any of their work, um, or seen their artwork before. So I don't know if they're purposely hearkening back to like an eighty style. I think it would make or, sense since the movie came or if out that in is, 77, right? Right, or, or if this is just their style. Because the thing is with a lot of Japanese artists is they don't really tend to shift their style to fit, like, the period. Like, their style is just that. Um, 
so the reason you see a lot of artists from the 90s have a similar look is because they all kind of grew up watching or reading the same material and being inspired by similar things. That's why a lot of artists in the 90s look the same. A lot of artists in the 80s look the same and so forth and so forth. Um, so it could be that he's just maybe an older artist and he's kind of came out of retirement or, or just wanted to work on this. Um, but it, it did kind of catch me a little off guard because it did feel very 80s, even though yeah. this is near the turn of the millennium. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff in here that's really good. I, I think my complaint with it is, and this is the complaint I have with a lot of adaptations, um, and it's that if you're not doing anything to really express what that medium can do with that material, then why, why are you doing it? Um, and this kind of feels... It gets close to not fulfilling that for me. Um, I think a lot of the action sequences are really well done. In particular, I really like the Obi-Wan Darth Vader fight. It has mm-hmm. It is way more bombastic than two old dudes poking each other with, with the glow sticks. Um, because Obi-Wan even does the whole... Uh, the samurai thing where like he prepares one hand and he has the other hand like leaning up against it and it's it's really neat but apart from that like narratively there's nothing nothing no liberties at all taken here it feels like mm-hmm. um and that's to me that's a little disappointing yeah so i mean while you've been talking i just looked up uh some information on uh hisao tamaki uh, on Wikipedia, the Wikipedia for Star Wars geeks, he has an entry that all it says is he wrote the, or he drew the manga for A New Hope. Uh. Anime News Network has him down as the creator of both the New Hope manga and a Dirty Pair manga. Yeah, that's an 80s thing. Yeah, 100%. I don't think he's the creator of Dirty Pair. Like, I'm not familiar with Dirty Pair very much. I know about it, but I've never he, read it. He did the manga adaptation of the original novel of Dirty Pair. Oh, it's a series of light novels. Yes. Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought it was a manga first. But these were published okay. in 2010, though, apparently. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, like, this is kind of a nobody, uh, which, like, not to disparage him. Uh, I, I'm doing the thing now. Uh <laughs> we don't know japanese names i do not know uh tamaki's preferred pronouns so we'll go with there there yeah yeah we'll we'll just do the the gender neutral thing so they're a relative unknown um and for them to pick up this star wars book and do the job with it that they do. Like, I think they're doing exactly what they were hired to do, frankly, which is to tell Star Wars. I don't think they were hired to be expressive with Star Wars. I don't think they were hired to experiment with it. They were hired to do a straight retelling of A New Hope. And uh, on the one hand, I kind of agree. As I was reading this, I was disappointed uh, that they don't really do anything different. Uh, Like, the character designs... And some of the action sequences, uh, like the excitement from those, those were pretty cool. But the the fact that it is just straight up the script from A New Hope was disappointing to me. On the other hand, though, I'm kind of with John that the craft on display here is pretty engaging to me. And it's not that there are no risks taken. Like... What made Star Wars so fantastic was 
a lot of it, the special effects and the things like that they were doing on screen that had never been done before or had not been done to that scale before. You can't really do that in comics because it's been done. But they do try to take these shots that we're somewhat familiar with and imbue them with just a little bit more character uh, and character that specifically belongs to the medium. And then you wind up with some cool things like in issue 4, page 57, Vader is hunting down uh, one of the, I, I don't remember if this is Red Leader or the first uh, trench run, but he's, he's chasing down one of the pilots and Vader himself, you see his outline, you see his eyes, and the rest of him is filled in with this sort of like texture effect. And you've got the speed lines going behind him. It's a really striking image. And frankly, like John, when you said, you know, Vader is just Vader, why, why improve on perfection? Yeah. I thought that the way Vader was portrayed in this book was ominous throughout. Even though it is the great costume design from the movie, the way that he's framed, the way that he's shaded, the way that he's positioned in panel, he always looks powerful. He always looks menacing. That's true. I like that sometimes he's just a straight shadow with his mask. Just yeah. like really dominating the page because, you know, there's not a whole lot of contrast, but when there is, it's used very well to draw attention to it in these in these panels. And yeah, he really stands out whenever he's on page. So, But then you also get some great jokes. Like I'm still in the third issue going back to page 18. This is the scene... They, uh, Han, Luke, C-3PO, R2-D2, and Obi-Wan have made it into the Death Star. Obi-Wan has gone off to try to turn off the tractor beam so that they can escape. Luke has found out that Leia is a prisoner, and so he's trying to persuade Han to help. Um, and it's the line where he realizes that the way to get Han to help is to tell him that Leia is rich. Yeah. This joke, that's not how the joke plays out in the movie. Like, there's this huge argument... We gotta help her. We are not gonna stick our necks out for anybody that we don't know. They're gonna execute her. Marching into the detention area is not what I had in mind. And Luke like fumes, and then he walks away, and then he turns around and says, "She's rich." Han says, "Rich," and then the scene changes. Yeah. Like again, this is kind of the case of explaining the joke ruins the joke, but the way that is blocked and paced and framed. I don't think it would work quite as well in the movie, or rather, in the movie, they did take more time afterwards, and the scene actually plays out in more detail. But here, it's just, that cutoff is really good. And then you flip the page, and Chewie is in the manacles, and they're marching him to the detention center. It's real good. It seems yeah. like a bit more of a modern take on, on you know, hitting the humor in that scene. You know, mm -hmm. that hard cut after Rich, like, you know, as soon as he hears that, then he's sold and we don't have to hear how the rest of it plays out. Yep. Yep. It's really good. Yeah. I think the other, I don't know if that's a joke. The other just bit that's different in here that's not in the movies is so, so, I mean, I hope it's not a spoiler for like this 40 something year old movie, <laughs> um, <laughs> but and so we know that like Leia is Luke's uh, sister. Yep. And which, you know, on, on, on rewatches, it makes that, like, that kiss that she gives them, like, a little uncomfortable for some people. Uh, Especially in the Empire. Yeah, and I like, and I like that, <laughs> because it's still kind of playing on that whole thing that you're not supposed to know that yet. Mm -hmm. I like that she gives them a second kiss uh, right before they go do the trench run. Oh, that's in the movie, yeah. I'm pretty sure. No, no, when she gives them the kiss, like, before he gets on the ship and embarrasses him in front of the other pilots. It's like a, like a quick cheek 
I don't, I don't think any of the pilots are embarrassed. It's because he's sad that Han's leaving, and she's like, "Good luck," you know. But it's it's more of a friendly kind of thing. I'm pretty sure that's in the movie. That might be there. I don't uh, think it is. It's been so long since I've seen it. Because guys, we don't need to get into this in too much more detail. But I hate the special editions. Me too. Hate them. I yeah. like. I grew up with those. I know. I, but like, so one of my friends has the despecialized edition. Somebody Those are took, the best. Yeah, I yeah, got, yeah. I yeah. mean, they're still weird because they do some like it's obviously not a professional who did this, or rather, it's not someone who had the professional resources of like the major movie studio mm-hmm. to to take the high definition films and take out all of the extra stuff. But having watched the despecialized editions re- recently, the the special editions ruin a lot to the point where. Like the Han Greedo exchange. Oh, don't even, don't even talk to me about the. Oh. Like again, we don't need to get into Han shop first. Because he um, did. Well, no, like I, I think it was Chris Schweitzer, a cartoonist I really like on Twitter, mentioned saying Han shop first implies that Greedo got a shot off, which he didn't mm-hmm. in the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Han just shot him and he died. Yep. But like the problem with the Greedo scene is that it is immediately followed by the Jabba scene where Han has the same dialogue yeah. that he had with Greedo. Like, yeah. it's obviously, you need one of those scenes, you don't need both. Yeah. And the Greedo scene is, is better, frankly. Because it leave, And it leaves Jabba as this mysterious character, and then we come back to him in Return of the Jedi. And uh, instead of getting this, you know, bad, bad animated Jabba, because they never considered, you know, having him slither around, you know, just, ugh, I don't like those. I don't like those additions. Same. Regardless, though, as an adaptation of those movies, like, a lot of the things that bug me about the special editions are not present. A lot of the extra weird little frivolous CG creatures. In fact, when we get the scene in the cantina, um, it's really well done. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not quite as as like impactful as the movie version would have been, but for a comic, it takes you know a couple pages and walks us through all of these bizarre creatures that we're seeing. Um, the Luke is kind of like fresh faced, a little bit overwhelmed by it all, which is a bit surprising because like this is his home world, but he's got kind of the little anime stress uh, sweat drops on him. And, like, I really like it. Yeah. I, I, I think if we can't get the theatrical version, honestly, this is kind of a nice substitute for me. Like, I get a similar feeling because New Hope is is in my top three Star Wars movies. Maybe top two. Like, I really like a New Hope. I like it better than the other uh, entries in the original trilogy. And I really like this adaptation of it. It's got great action. It's got great character designs. I'm a little on the fence about Chewie's design. Otherwise, I really like them all. Yeah, he's more dog than than Wookiee. But it's, you know, it was something different. And it was kind of funny. And it didn't really bother me that much, you know, compared to, like, what, what they could have done with it. I like, um, we get a panel of Luke. Like, I told you I'd outrun him. We should be at Alderaan at, oh, 200 hours. And they're just, they're, everyone else is busy. And he's like... This little insert panel, don't everyone thank me all at once. And he has like a little kind of teardrop sweat drop on him and the panel yeah. before and that one. Just like those little things, I was like, okay, this is a nod to this style. Okay, that's that's fine. If they, you know, that's as crazy as it gets. Yep. I'm a, I'm a fan of this, honestly, all in all. 
and there are a lot of things that I like. I think Leia comes across particularly well in this. Like, it, it's kind of uh, hard for me to avoid watching A New Hope now and realizing Carrie Fisher is a young girl. Oh, yeah. In those movies. She's 18 and she does a bang-up job. But, like, I tend to get distracted by the fact that she is a child. Um, in this, like, and, and some of this might just be the aesthetic, but Leia is obviously still a child. She's still young. But there's, a, like, a nobility and a strength to her that I really like. And, I, like, again, this isn't to take anything away from Carrie Fisher's performance, because I think Fisher brought a similar strength to, to Leia, um, although I think her strength really came through more in, like, Empire than in A New Hope. But I'm looking in particular, second issue, uh, page 57. This is after Alderaan has blown up. We've got this page of Leia crying. Everybody's reacting to the power of the station. Tarkin turns around and looks at her, and we get this great shot of Tarkin just being super evil, and he's got the world's most evil eyebrows. Oh, and Leia, like, I have, I don't know that I've ever seen this level of complexity in a drawn, like, that. okay, that's probably, I, I'm prone to exaggeration and hyperbole when I shouldn't be. <laughs> the level of complex emotionality in Leia's face. There's anger, and there's resolve, and there is heartbreaking grief all at once, and it's really good! Are we talking about 47, you said? 53. 53. 53. You said 57 at first. I did say 57 at first. I, I, because on the app it says 53 of 78, and I mixed them for reasons that are, um, I'm dumb. <laughs> his, his words, although not ours. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to make him a liar. <laughs> Sorry, I'm catching up. There were a couple yeah. of other uh, pages before that where we got some really great Tarkin eyebrows, and then oh. this one, yeah, no question, this one takes the kick. Actually, I, I do want to say, though, that the explosion on page 51 of the Death Star's beam impacting Alderaan is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like, the, like, the special effect was is great for its time, right? Like, the whole planet exploding and the rings and everything. But, like, the force that it hits the planet with in the panel, yeah, mm-hmm. like, really kind of helps us out. And I think it's in the next page where you kind of... Oh, no, I think that was in the different... In the other book. Never mind. I was going to say that I thought there was like a close-up of the people as they were... Exp- oh, no, it's in the page before it. Uh, you get like the like a, like a the image of the beam heading to Alderaan. And you get this thin panel of all the citizens. And then the third panel is just like this big explosion. Yep. And then the next page is where you pull back and you see just how big that explosion was. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's a continent size. Yeah. Oof. Extinction level. Yeah. 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 Aldo, what what else did you think about this as as our manga expert? Uh, they're cowards for reversing the panel order. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, that's oh, fair. I that's hate fair. it. I hate it. So, I, I, so it's not a big issue on here because like there's not a whole lot that's happening that's dependent on like left right um, paneling. Like it's all consistent, anyways. But it's it's one of those things where if they hadn't pointed it out, I probably wouldn't have noticed. Because I'm not yeah. that big on my Star Wars cinematography, but the fact that they pointed it out and it's just one of the, it's it's a product. I, I I hate this phrase for anything other than old people. It's a product of its time, 
<laughs> because in the early 90s and very, very early 2000s, they did that a lot. Where they just thought, you know, we Westerners with our, with our Western minds just wouldn't be able to handle that. And which is not the case anymore. If you if, a lot of times now, if you if you pick up a manga and you start reading it left to right, you get a little page that says, "Hey, you're reading this the wrong way." Yep. Yeah. So so that was like one complaint, and it, and it, and I still go back to my other complaint about like it being a super straight adaptation because I don't have a lot of experience with manga adapting things. I don't that, think it happens. It, I mean, it happens. I mean, I mean, as a loose example, you have a lot of manga that adapts uh, light novels. And then, and you also have a lot of manga that adapts an anime that came out oh, or a movie that sorry. came out. Yeah, what, let me clarify. What I don't think happens is I don't think manga adapts Hollywood movies very often. No. Uh, and, and for me, it's it's weird because a lot of the times you have a lot of... It's a real collaborative experience from what from my experience with reading manga that's based on existing properties. Well, they'll talk to the person who's who wrote the original and, and you know they'll convey stuff that couldn't be conveyed otherwise in like a novel or or in the, or because of the uh constrictions of of the time that it takes to create an anime there's stuff that you know they cut out or they just can't animate fully and so the example I'm going to go to because I always go to this example um that's my mutant power is to bring an evangelion into any conversation <laughs> So I read the manga for that not too long ago. I think last year, early this year, and it was uh, the the person that did the manga was also the character designer for for Evangelion for the anime. And so he inserted a lot into the manga. He changed a few scenes and a lot and some character interactions. He made uh, the main protagonist Shinji a little bit more uh, not not aggressive, just a little bit more forward more assertive i think was yeah more assertive so his character comes off a little different but not like by that much but there's a lot of scenes in the manga that just don't happen in in the anime there's characters that never interact in the show who have a who who get at least one conversation together in the manga just because the care just because the 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 character designer being in all these meetings knows that these were scenes that that were in the scripts at some point or there were things that they wanted that just couldn't happen and he just kind of decided hey i'm just gonna include these so that's kind of something i was you know and maybe maybe wrongly so i was kind of expecting something as far as that considering that this came out in 98 several years after after that and we had a lot of revisions so you i would think you know maybe they'd you'd feel a little bit more they'd feel a little bit more uh free to add to to this and it just kind of didn't happen so so for me that was like a little jarring like I, but that's because it's a different uh collaboration than than probably what i'm used to or even what is the norm when adapting something into manga yeah yeah and that's uh, honestly that is probably the biggest complaint that can be leveled against this and i i am not like i'm not unsympathetic to it yeah but i'm also not gonna shoot it down for it mm-hmm. uh it, it's kind of a thing where it's i think for me that was the expectation right that's not what was sold to me what was sold to me was exactly what i got which was a manga adaptation of yep. of a new hope yep <laughs> and i got exactly that and in a and sense it's a really good adaptation it is and it is again like on a craft level i think it is a very well done book 
Like yeah. this book has been on my radar since I think it was last New Year's or thereabouts. Some of the pages of the original Japanese started doing the rounds on Twitter. And I saw it and was impressed, again, with just the designs. It was in Japanese, so obviously I did not know that it was just, again, going to be the script from A New Hope. But just the way that the action sequences were paced, the character designs caught my attention, and I've been wanting to read this book ever since. And the fact that it's on the app is pretty exciting. The fact that the, the images are flipped frustrates me. This was originally published by Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. Dark Horse did this a lot. Mm-hmm. They did it with Astro Boy, which uh, is one of the only other manga that I've read from Dark Horse, and it's really bad. Like yeah. in Astro Boy, you can actually tell it was not designed to be read left to right, which almost makes me wonder. Like, not to be that guy, but is flipping the manga art like xenophobic? I don't think it's xenophobic. I th- I think. I think it's a distrust of the audience. I think it's you as a publisher or as a person in charge deciding that this is too much for your audience to be able to handle. Mm. I think it's the same way that like that Avengers has a 40 minute intro that doesn't mean anything before you get to the good to, to the actual Avenger story, because it's in a sense, it's you going like, I don't think these people saw these movies. It's you not trusting them. It's like a Nintendo game having a, you know, 15-minute tutorial on how to walk in yeah. a video game. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, it's like, you know, 20 years of Pokemon games and they still have an intro telling you how to catch a Pokemon. It's, it's just you not trusting your audience to be able to handle or grasp a concept. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think it's xenophobic, but I think it's a little, a little insulting to the audience you're selling this to. I think I, I would get behind that. Oh, also, I'm flipping through issue one. I got to page 62, where Leia delivers her message to Obi-Wan, and then the hologram disappears. Luke is kind of staring at the spot where she was, and Obi-Wan is looking at him, and he's, like, thoughtful, and then he puts his hand to his chin, and he gets a little smile. That's really good. Yeah. I, I, I really like the way Obi-Wan is drawn here. I, I think the other thing I was... Uh, I don't know, maybe this is me just because of the manga I do read. I'm a little surprised that they didn't like super sexualize uh Leia. And it's they they could have and to be fair, she's pretty sexualized in the movies like on its own. Seriously. Yeah, like uncomfortably. Like yep. not because not because of her sexuality, but because of the reasonings and the production why? <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh so I don't know, it kind of feels nice that they took the high road. And just kind of made her really cute. Agreed. Uh. Okay. Um, now that we've established what happened in the movie, for all of you who have not seen Star Wars, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you've never seen Star Wars before, you are beautiful and we love you. And go see Star Wars. It's actually pretty good. And you matter. You matter. And you matter. Let's talk about Star Wars Infinity's A New Hope. I thought... I thought you said Infinities of New Hope. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's a lot of hopes. No. Anyways. Uh, Star Wars Infinities A New Hope. Star Wars Infinities A New Hope is sort of a what if in the Star Wars universe. The premise of this story is that Luke Skywalker piloting his X-Wing through the Death Star Trench 
launches his photon torpedoes. Or are they proton torpedoes? I always mix them up. One's Star Trek and the other is Star Wars. He launches his sci-fi MacGuffin space bomb thingies. And instead of destroying the Death Star, they explode prematurely. And the Death Star's like, yep, this is fine. And it blows up the planet Yavin. Except it doesn't actually blow it up. It fires at the, at the Rebel base and does significant damage. Apparently the bomb did some damage to the internal workings of the Death Star so that it couldn't launch a full blast. And as a result, the Rebellion is routed, but the major players all survive. Luke and Han escape. A uh, force ghost appears to Luke and tells him he needs to go to Dagobah to train with Yoda. Han takes him there and then takes off and does his own thing. Uh, Leia, meanwhile, gets captured by the Empire and trained by Darth Vader to be his apprentice, like he always wanted to do with Luke. So Luke gets his Jedi training from Yoda. Meanwhile, Leia comes up in the Empire and is getting trained to be basically like the heir to the Emperor. Yoda trains Luke in the ways of the Force. Han shows back up on Dagobah to pick Luke up, and they go to single-handedly take down the Empire now that it has completely won and established its dominance. Luke has a showdown with Leia in the Emperor's Throne Room, and it's sort of the same thing there where he refuses to fight Leia the way that Leia refused to fight, or the way that Luke refused to fight Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi. Uh, it comes forth that Leia and Luke are siblings, and they are Vader's children. The Emperor zaps them the way that he zapped Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi. Vader turns on the Emperor the way that he did at the end of Return of the Jedi. Uh, the main difference there is Yoda is still alive and he commandeers the Death Star to blow up the entire Imperial fleet. And the whole series ends with Leia basically becoming, like, creating the, the New Republic that is created at the end of Return of the Jedi. She acts as the Chancellor because she's already got sort of that political clout. And... Yeah, um, there are a couple of other slight differences. Like, Vader actually does not defeat the Emperor. It's Yoda crashing the Death Star into a planet that kills the Emperor. Um, but other than that, like, this was just kind of a fun sort of what-if Star Wars, but different, you know? Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> I did too, actually. I liked it more than I expected to. Yeah, this is this is kind of the stuff I like about um, not adapting, because it's obviously not like an adaptation. This is the stuff I like about like companies that have like a, a like a story that's super well established. I love seeing different takes on it, and I think Star Wars is ripe for that. Uh, not just like outside of the extended canon, just like these what if stories are just really fantastic. And, and that's, I think, one of the things that people liked about the extended canon was because we never had a, an episode seven for for um, for years, decades. for yeah. decades. So the whole idea of like what happened to Luke, like what if he, you know, became the next, you know, person to revive the Jedi Order? What if he got married and all these things? And uh, and I think that's just one of those things that like that fans like. And there's a reason I think they made three of these not just that there's three movies but <laughs> but that it's just a fun idea to explore 
indeed. Yeah, I at first I was distracted in the first issue by I did not like the art in this. It was where where the manga adaptation was very close and you know, its own style but but basically the same thing. You know, this was like a poor imitation, you know. Like they have some things brought straight in like the X-wing is it sure is the X-wing and like you know, it almost looks like they took photos and, and shots from the movie and then just did, like, a comics layer over them. I know that's not what they did, but, like, it looks like that. It's just, you know, poorly done um, when you compare it to, you know, what we what we read before. And then as I went further on, I was kind of intrigued by the twists. Like, ooh, what if, what if Leia was, a, uh, like, a dark Jedi? Like, what if this, what if that, you know? So it got to the point where I was like, okay, I don't care about the art. I'm just going to see what we you know where we're differing from the original. And then Yoda, you know, playing a mind trick on uh, Tarkin and then using the yeah using the Death Star to wipe out the fleet. I was like, okay, all right, all right. This is I'm okay that this exists in the world. I I like that there's this implied history between him and Tarkin. Yeah, yeah. At least like the way they talk to each other, it just kind of feels like it. Mm, owe me money you do <laughs> <laughs> I think kind of talking about the art um I I thought it was fine yeah I, same I didn't have any like issues with it except for like two pages in issue two and the first one was uh it's on page 13 and Yoda doesn't look like he's hanging out on the tree he looks real passionate of the Christ on that tree and that was a little weird oh <laughs> And the, the other the other one was on page 14, and it's that bottom right image of him where he's kind of covered in some shadows, but not really. So he just looks like he's really, really in the need for some food. Um, those those were kind of uncomfortable. But I think apart from that, I I didn't really have, like, like any big issues. And not, But that's, I mean, I guess compared to the manga, that's also not necessarily, like, a compliment. In the sense yeah. that the art wasn't necessarily stylistic and it didn't impress me, but it also did not offend me. There are a couple of odd expressions. Like, I was actually going to bring up page 14 because it's one of my favorite moments in the whole series. Uh, at the top of the page, Han is pointing out to Luke, kid, this is Yoda. Yeah, he, I did he's like playing that. you. Like, that's such a great Han moment. And in general, the way Han comes across in this is really good. Like... It's it's funny because like I think Han is a character that I kind of struggle with in Star Wars. I don't like him very much, what? but I like what they. I know I'm the guy who doesn't like Han Solo. Uh, I don't know but, why I'm surprised when I get these revelations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've known each other for how long? You know, I like to be contrary. <laughs> but I like the way that the story kind of plays with the idea that Han was a scoundrel and continues to be a scoundrel. And when he met Leia, he kind of like had this idea of. Um, you know, maybe reforming, maybe trying to work for something more important than himself. And then when the rebellion loses, he goes back to his old scoundrel ways. And the thing that makes him turn around is hearing Leia like coming out and supporting the Empire. And so it's like, oh, it kind of does play into some nice things about how like Han's character arc from the original trilogy. Except, except I think one of the differences here is that in the original trilogy he does it you know you know out of a romance with with Leia right uh-huh. and i think here it's more based on his relationship with Luke agreed because because yeah like he like he is surprised at Leia but i think 
he's more more not necessarily concerned that she's alive and on the dark side, but he's it, it seems like he's he's of the idea that Luke needs to know about this. Like Luke has maybe been grieving over this for for whatever reason. Like he feels right. he's lost. Luke needs to hear this, and yeah. that's why he goes not not necessarily to get a shot at the princess again. Oh yeah, no, yeah. exactly. And I think like I, I think I've mentioned this before because uh, we've talked about Star Wars comics before. But I've always kind of liked the Han Luke relationship, and I think that plays out really well here. Yeah, I I think it's also worth noting, and I I never picked up on this until maybe like a couple years ago, or not years, a couple months ago. Luke has a lot of father figures. Yep. Yeah. And it never dawned on me until like not not too long ago because because I was thinking about how he became a sort of father figure for Ray and then I was just thinking like, "Oh man, he had a lot of father figures." Mm-hmm. And not a lot of them were an Uncle Ben, except for the one that was an Uncle Ben. <laughs> <laughs> and he even got Uncle Ben. Yeah. He got an Uncle Ben. Jeez, Luke has like a thruples worth of of father figures. Yeah, I'm sorry. You want to run that by me again? No. <laughs> um, like okay. So I do have some complaints about the story. Um, and I, I started talking about the art. One of the biggest art problems that I have is page 14, the one that we've been talking about already. Luke's expression in the panel where Han says he's playing you. Luke's like. <laughs> <laughs> If you if you're not if you don't have the book in front of you and you want to know what expression he's making, it, it sounds like this. Yeah. You know, just just make that sound and you're probably making the same expression. Yep. Yep, that's that's Petulance had a face. Petulance had <laughs> Um But like honestly, one of the things that kind of like frustrates me about this story is that in some ways it doesn't quite live up to the promise yeah. of the you know, the Empire wins. Because the solution winds up being very easy. Luke goes and trains with Yoda. Actually completes his training. Actually completes his training. And then Yoda walks into the Death Star and mind controls everyone. Yep. And then Yoda single-handedly, like, murders millions of people. Yeah, that did not sit well with me. Yeah. I mean, like, the way of the Jedi is supposed to be you know, the way of nonviolence. The, like, they're, yeah. they're supposed to be this peaceful group. And there's a lot of great criticism of the way the Jedi operate. If you are not familiar with Pop Culture Detective, strongly recommend he does a video on the Jedi. I think it's called The Case Against the Jedi. It's very good just breaking down why the Jedi Order kind of sucks. But in principle, and especially Yoda in Episodes 5 and 6... Like, those philosophies that Yoda espouses are beautiful and brilliant, and this does not live up to that. Yeah. I Yeah. Uh, and I think part of the problem comes from finishing the story in, in this four-issue, 20-page-per-issue story. Yeah! Because, because they're... Part of what they're doing here is that they're really bringing in elements from the later book, uh, later movies, and and making them part of this new canon, right? And it just doesn't have time to like really stew and and really kind of uh, I, I don't know it doesn't really get a chance to develop. Like we we kind of get these these interesting things, but Luke's training, which in this book is five years that he spends with yep. with Yoda, uh, just happened off screen, yep, or off page, I guess. 
And it's a little disappointing. I feel like if this was maybe a 12-issue series, maybe even six issues, we might alleviate some of those problems. But the ultimate solution of crashing the Death Star into a planet uh, just doesn't just doesn't seem very Yoda-ish or even very Jedi-like. It's more like, a, wouldn't it be so cool if Yoda crashed the Death Star into a planet? Like... That's, that's yeah. where it's coming from. Not from a place of, what's the natural thing that would have happened if Yoda had lived a little bit longer and, and completed the training and, you know. Yeah. And my biggest thing, Leia didn't really get any time to shine. Like, she was like, right hand of Vader, and then one fight with Luke, and then she's like, well, I'm the new uh, I'm the new uh, Chancellor now, and all's forgiven. And, yeah. Yeah, and I, th- I, I don't know. I think part of the... <laughs> I'm really conflicted about the story on here because Leia has like this interesting arc uh, in this book and in the movies. I think Leia's arc is, or not arc, but her character is interesting in the fact that she's also this Force-sensitive character. And out of all the Jedi character or you know Force characters of the Skywalker family, she goes through a lot of trial and tribulation and never turns to the dark side. Yeah, like she loses her home planet. She loses like all the people that work with her. She essentially uh, has to send all these people out to do things. A lot of stuff doesn't go her way, and you know, up to her old age, she just never succumbs. And you have Luke, who's um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm angry about this thing. Oh, I guess I'm gonna become space Nazi. And then you have this Muppet who's like, oh no no no, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> okay, like. <laughs> and 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 so to me it almost feels a bit of a disservice to insinuate that that all it takes is this tragedy and her being captured to to you know be fully brought over to the dark side and turned into a robot when she's really one of the strongest like mentally one of the strongest characters in in the in the original trilogy canon at least in my opinion to the mind probe yeah so it, it and I think it's almost even more of a disservice that she is is seemingly brainwashed into becoming this dark servant because when when Luke like helps her get out of that she has like this very like oh no where am I what year is it time type of realization of where she's at and it's not like a oh you know what I guess you're right type of thing so it all it just feels like I don't know I just didn't like it very much yeah. I've noticed that a lot of a lot of Star Wars canon for me really hinges on how they treat Leia. Yep, <laughs> mm. yep. that's a, yeah, I like that's a Leia fair a lot. She's barometer a, to use. You know, she's a good character. I think it's really hard to screw up Luke or even Han, uh, but I think it's very easy to screw up Leia. I would. I think I would agree with that. Actually, even like I know that the portrayals of the original, like Luke, Han, Leia in the um, new. Star Wars movies has been controversial. I think all of it is actually in keeping with who the characters are. Yeah. But yeah, I would agree that Leia is pretty hard to get correct. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that is like, <sighs> I don't, I don't know. That. <laughs> um, I think a lot of it is unfortunately the tendency to put women in particular roles within fiction. Like, Leia is never really the damsel in distress. Yes, she needs saving a couple of times, but they all do. Yeah. And they all have opportunities to show off their strength. Yeah. And if you don't give Leia those opportunities, it doesn't feel like Leia. 
Yeah, and and I think it's funny that you point that out because they, I mean, like like we saw in the manga and the and the movie, they go to rescue Leia, but in the heat of it, she's the one getting them out. Yep. Yeah. And like uh, Han gets frozen in carbonite. Leia is the one who rescues him. Mm-hmm. Luke loses the fight with Vader in Cloud City and falls out of the of like down the shaft and he's hanging from the weather vane. Mm-hmm. Like Leia's the one who who is like coaxing him back to health after that and like wrapping him in the yeah. blanket and stuff after Lando's the one who pulls him in. It's like they all need saving at different points. They Leia, all... Leia kills Jabba. Yeah. Leia kills Jabba. Brutally. <laughs> and deservedly. Is it yeah. weird that every time um, Lando comes up out of the hatch, I hear Billy D, uh, um, uh, Billy D. Williams say, "Hey, Luke, looks like you could use a hand." And like, every time, every time, every time, and I can't help it. And I know it's not really in the movie, but man, I hear it in my head every single time. My text message sound is um, Lando saying, "Hello, what have we here?" And it has been it terrifies me the day that it's going to go off. At a at a time and place that I don't want it to, <laughs> you know, like yeah, uh, like from an if you heard that from a neighboring bathroom stall, like, <laughs> oh man, uh, I was when I was in college, my my laptop had a bunch of Homestar Runner sound effects for all these noises, and there was the one time that I turned on my computer in the library without having the sound off, and my startup noise was. Hey, stupid, I bought you this stuff. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, going back to the art, I'm sorry, this this conversation I feel like has been fairly unfocused. <laughs> I now I hear, but I'm the 100% all original bubs. If I had thumbs, <laughs> I'd be sticking them in my armpits right now. <laughs> uh, so Star Wars, huh? Boy. One thing that I really like about the art, and like I, I, I'm saying the art, but maybe just the storytelling more broadly, the the book is relatively subtle in the way that it portrays Luke's conflict with the dark side, which still happens. And it, it's best done, I think, on page 19 of issue one. This is after they've shot the planet, the rebel base is destroyed, and they've been captured. Luke in the X-Wing is freaking out and we get this great panel it's got a lot of like red coloring in it we get luke's face one of his eyes is like completely covered in shadow but there's a little red gleam behind it and his x-wing is just going to town blowing up a bunch of people and the voice of obi-wan comes in and has to remind him don't give in to your anger you need to be better than this like the way that the art portrays luke's struggle with the dark side with these sort of like furious expressions and this this really good coloring I really like that. And it happens a couple of times in the book. Issue, I don't think it ever gets better than issue one, but I like it when they do it. Yeah. Um, I think we need to, because we haven't said it yet, the, the script is by Chris Warner. The art team includes Drew Johnson on pencils, Ray Snyder on inks, and Dave McCaig on colors, with letters by Steve Dutro. This is a dark horse book that Marvel now owns and distributes. So I'm not familiar with any of these names. Yeah. Oh, Same but also the on this on the on the second half of the of the books though, pencils go to Al Rio and inks by Neil Nelson. Oh, I didn't catch that. Thanks for yeah. Thanks for bringing they, that up. That I didn't notice it at first, uh, but because oh. I because I do yeah. the website stuff and I was looking at the teams, 
I was like, oh, wait a minute, there's two pencilers on here? And I was like, oh, they switch off after the after the second half. Yeah, and you can 100% tell once it's pointed out. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely didn't notice the first time through either, which yeah. is, I don't know. I think, frankly, I read comics too quickly. Like, I need to slow down to better appreciate the artwork and, and really become more conversant in it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to um, learn how to draw yeah. better. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, I do want to point out they have a they have a much more inferior to the Last Jedi version, but uh, they have a Praetorian guard fight and it's neato. Yeah. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. What kind of Luke. weapons do are they? Because they're not really lightsabers that they have, but they kind of are. Like I know in like games and stuff, they're like vibra blades or something, and in Last yeah, Jedi they I... have that. But like they pulled a, like a double lightsaber for one of these. Yeah, they're using Darth Maul sabers. Yeah, yeah. In this one. Yeah. And I, Luke does a force push on one of them and winds up cutting two of them in half. Yeah. yeah. I do think it's kind of worth note pointing out because maybe, or maybe not, but to me it is. Um, I think it's worth pointing out this book came out like in 2002. Yeah. So after Phantom Menace, but not before the Clone Wars, uh, but yeah. before the Clone Wars. Um, right. So at the end of the thing, we still have like the original actor for, for Vader. When they do the uh, the Force Ghosts. Oh yeah, that's true. Because when I was reading that, I was like, "Huh, isn't that weird that they wouldn't just use Hayden Christensen?" But then I was like, "Oh no, it's uh, it's what's his name?" And then I looked up the dates. But I think that's probably why they gave the guards the the Darth Maul saber, because that cause this came out you know shortly after, and I think everybody just wanted more of that. Yeah. So why not give it to them instead of just giving them random? Jedi weapons and having to explain how their anti-Jedi weapons work. <laughs> just just give them Darth Maul lightsabers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say... Oh, actually, talking about Vader a little bit. I love Vader. I think he's one of my favorite characters or one of my favorite characters in, like, pop culture. Uh-huh. Uh, incre- uh, I don't want to say incredibly. Fairly complex character and just continuously beaten down by fans and writers. Um... <laughs> And still somehow and, endures. Yeah. And I think part of what I like about him or his portrayal around the time of the original trilogy is because us as fans really got to see him as like this intimidating force, right? Before he eventually gets cut down to being like this super henchman for the Emperor. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea of him at the end of the day, just kind of being a henchman. And he has like this moment where he's at least, I don't know, maybe I, I read the subtext wrong. But he's talking to Leia, and I think it's on issue two, and it kind of feels like he's trying to tell her, like, join me and we can take down the Emperor without actually saying it. Like, he's trying to hint at it. Yeah, yeah. And then at at the end, uh, on issue four, and I think a little bit in issue three, at the end of that, uh, he has, like, this realization that she's going to replace him. And that's the Emperor's plan, is, is to replace him with with her and and even as a henchman he just kind of gets the short end of the stick a lot of the times yeah and i i, I don't know i i like that stuff about vader he's just like this mm-hmm. complex character who's trying to gain control trying to you know find his children trying to you know restore his humanity after having lost it just a lot of stuff that goes on with vader and man the guy is there anything else we want to say about star wars infinities i i you know it exists and given more time <laughs> Given more time to breathe, I I mean, I would really love to read like a Leia goes to the dark side story 
um, and that we get that hinted at, and she very quickly jumps back to the, the light side. Um, it's just a little disappointing that it ended the way that it did, and there wasn't enough time. It was more like, we're going to do a twist on this scene that you know. Now, we did get Han Solo, you know, seeing con man Yoda pull his, his <laughs> trick. You know, no complaints there, but... Yeah, that know, was very good. The ex- at the expense of uh, Dark Side Leia, that could have been really cool. But, oh, but you know what? We're probably gonna we're probably gonna read some more of these, and yeah, we'll see I, what happens next. I just got I, this image of Leia, like Leia with the buns and everything, but her face is like the stony face of Dark Side from DC Comics. <laughs> Dark Side Leia. Uh, I, like I gotcha. It. I like I, it. I, I'm yeah. certain, certain that that has been cosplayed before somewhere. Let's find <laughs> out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say I like I like it. I like the idea of it. I wish it was a little longer because it's trying to incorporate a lot of story that isn't meant to be in that part of the story. Yeah. And I kind I want to read the other books because there's a second one for uh what's Revenge of the Empire? Is that what it's called? Uh, Empire Strikes Back. Back. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. And there's another one for uh for Return of the Jedi. That, and they all do the same thing, where like they take a moment from the movie and are like, well, what a what if? And I think, I want to say the what if in Empire Strikes Back. That's the one where they start out on Hoth, right? Yes. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a hot minute. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't just play in your head nonstop? No. Oh, yeah, me either. Not ever since I saw The, the, the Last Jedi. Mm, that's a good when I go one. to sleep, when I go to sleep, all I see is that fight. With yeah. Ray and Kylo against the Praetorian guards, nonstop, and, and the uh, the wall burning down, and it like, no. opens up, and you can see like the red walls getting burned. Oh, it's so cool! Yeah, uh, but but I think the premise on that one is like, what if Luke died in the cave? Oh, interesting. I I think hmm. uh, huh. so. So so they all have like a different wrinkle, and so so I'm really interested in reading the other ones. Yeah, uh, I'll probably read them in these next couple of weeks because peek behind the curtain we're not going to be recording for a few weeks yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh not a bad use of your time yeah so i think i'm probably going to end up reading those um and then if we decide to read them for the podcast i'll just reread them and hopefully they're not terrible and i don't mind hopefully all right yeah hopefully all right not to insinuate that this one was terrible it was fine it was fine yeah it was fine let's go ahead and rank these books then all right let's rank these puppies (laughs) okay currently on our list we have 76 stories ranging from the wonderful No Normal by uh, G. Willow Wilson and Adrian Alfona to yeah. the uh, dreadful, awful, horrible, The Evil That Men Do, number 78, or 76, excuse me. By, it will uh, be 78. <laughs> it will be 78. This book by a couple of people who probably knew better. Um, so let's, okay. I don't know. How are we going to rank the Star Wars manga? Because it's like, it's really good because it's Star Wars, you know. But at the end of the day, am I ever going to recommend that somebody read this instead of watching Star Wars? Probably not. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, Star Wars, if we were ranking, you know, just random stories as opposed to strictly, you know, comics, uh, Star Wars would be really, really high on our list. But does the Star Wars manga go that high? See that's it's tricky because I liked it, but it's you know too much connected to the film, and so it's it's tricky to like you know 
stack up that story next to these other ones that are, you know, their own thing. I'm thinking kind of middle, like somewhere about like 44. Oh, wow. Gosh, that is the middle, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I like Star Wars more than a lot of this list, but that's not what we're here to do. Um, Uh Uh-huh. You know, and it's it's good. I think it I think it needs to be like the new kind of like hinge where it's like this is good. This I'd read again, but everything after this is a nah. You know, because it's yeah. If I'm gonna read this, I'd rather watch the the movie, but it it's not bad. So you know, you know, by that logic, I think I'd have to agree with you and put it up like above Eternals because you don't like Eternals <sighs> as much. Yeah. <laughs> See, for what it is, though, I like Eternals because it's, I mean, it's, it was a comic book first, right? Like, it, that's, that's what it, it's, uh, yeah, Star, but also, I mean, the Star Wars manga is cheating, <laughs> like, it's it, good, I mean, it, but, like, it is, but it also, re, but it also really did not mess it up. I mean, that's it true. very well could have, it very well could have, could have made true. Luke this really, like, cute anime protagonist and. And you know, he, he, and they use the power of friendship to save the day, and and the Death Star turns into a giant robot or something. Like a lot, there's a lot of stuff that could have happened, but but didn't. Probably for better you know, or worse. Int- that is one thing that I forgot to bring up is that you know, Star Wars was inspired by uh, like Kurosawa, of- like Hidden Fortress, you know, and yeah. So it, it's interesting that now that then there's this manga adaptation of something inspired by Japanese culture and Japanese film. It's just like it's like full circle. I don't know. Yeah. After that that comment, Aldo, the only uh-huh. thing that I can think of is, notice me, Obi Wan Senpai. Oh, <laughs> Yuck. Solo Kun, why are we going to save Leia Chen? <laughs> <laughs> you mean you guys didn't find a way for us to get out of here, Baka? <laughs> oh gosh. Look, okay. Use the Force. Feel Kimochi. <laughs> I want to argue to put this a little bit higher because I think the craft on display is good and is yes. worth like if you are a comics fan, not just a fan of like the intellectual properties that we usually think of when we think of the term comics, but like the medium itself, the craft that goes into it. This is a well-crafted story. Um, yeah. And like you said, John, it's it's a like as a manga, it appealed to you, someone who's never read manga before. But I mean, it had some help with quite possibly my favorite story. It's like, do you, are you dunking a basketball if you're standing on a ladder? <laughs> it's a good ladder. But what if the ladder is twenty feet away from the rim? Five. I'll give you. Five. <laughs> You gotta remember, okay, George Lucas was standing on the shoulders of giants too. Like, I mean, he a didn't, little bit, but like, yeah, a lot of bit. He was also he doing a lot. Yeah, but like, uh, general myth, you know, like general like archetypes and stuff. But it wasn't like there are some of the same shot, like same shots. Like, well, I don't know. Let's not. I get what you're saying, and yes, yes, it is well crafted and. And takes that that script and and I think it honors it well and it's a good adaptation. So, I don't know how high were you thinking? Not terribly high, or not terribly much higher than that, honestly. Um, where I like, I think it's better than the Search for Eternity. Honestly, sorry, sorry. Yes, you are. <laughs> oh, you're no okay, just anymore. for you, the Search for Eternity. Eternity. Yeah, like I think it's 
better than that. Like, it's similarly good in the sense that The Search for Eternity has a lot of great craft in it. Mm -hmm. But it's also really hard to read. Yeah. Um, I And once it gets above The Search for Eternity, personally, I liked this better than House of M. I liked this better than the Nova story that we read. I like this better than the Riri Williams. I like this better than Why Stands for Freedom. It's when we get to Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur that I'm like, okay, hold on. Okay. Yeah, that's a really I'm good middle really, spot. Yes, I'm really glad that's what you said because that's what that's my same thought process was. Nope, nope, nope. Hold up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And so if, again, and I don't think this is actually going against your philosophy either. It's like if you want this to be the hinge, like everything above, like this and above is like not necessarily must read, but like, yeah, this is a good comic. Versus everything below it is like, I mean, read it if you want to, but... Because I think at the end of the day, I would recommend people read this. Yeah. Like, I would not recommend that they read this instead of watching the movie. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend that they read this instead of reading some of the other books higher up on the list. Um, so I think it does make a good sort of, like, watermark for, okay, from here and up is where stories are good and they're interesting. Versus the stuff that's beneath is, like, fine. Yeah. Slash bad in some cases. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd be willing to agree with that. Cool. You know, I agree with that. Oh. Solidarity. Yeah. <laughs> so that puts it in the list at number 38 between Why Stands for Freedom and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur BFF. Man, Why Stands for Freedom. Such a weird book. <laughs> we need more Captain Marvel on this list. We do need more Captain Marvel on this list. We'll we'll get... I mean, we've got a couple of good Captain Marvel stories now, yeah. I think. Um... But anyway, we also need to rank Star Wars Infinity's A New Hope. And, like, the immediate window that I'm going with here, this doesn't narrow it down at all. It's not as good as the other What If story that we've read, What If Magic. Yeah. But it's better than Vader Down. See, I like, the, I like Vader Down better. Oh, you did? Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to put it below Vader Down. Where is Vader Down? <laughs> oh, there it is. I found it. Yeah, it, Vader Down's low on the list. I think that's because we we picked a lot of really good comics. We got to pad this list with some real crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm just yeah. waiting for Kevin Smith to announce the evil that men do to Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Well, I think people are still waiting on uh, Batman stories from him from a long, long time ago. So. <laughs> Take a number, get in line. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. So, how much further down would you put it? I, I was thinking above. Um, oh, I just lost it. Above Maximum Carnage, so that's 57 on the list right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't agree that Sweet Christmas is where it is, but um, I would read The <laughs> Exiles before I read this, you know, What If Star Wars story again. I, I honestly would put it above War of Kings. Yeah? Yeah. I, I, I'm actually tempted to put it, like, right below it or down. Uh, Love and War's fine, but I don't know that I would recommend that over... Love and War, Love and War was a little a little thirsty, so... <laughs> You know, eh, first like isn't it's, necessarily a bad thing. It's not, yeah, it's not bad, but I think uh, everybody gets thirsty from time to time. Yeah, except for maybe asexual people. Sure, I actually <laughs> don't know any any aces, so it's not I know for a couple me to say. aces. Oh, tell them I said hi. Uh, I, I I will. I'll uh, I'll I'll t I'll I'll timestamp the podcast and be like, hey, listen to this bit. Mikey Newman is actually asexual. Yeah, but do you know him? No, but, like, <laughs> it, I appreciate him sharing his experience. Who that? Uh, movies with Mikey, the YouTube channel. Oh, Film oh Movies with Mikey. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know his last name. Yeah, I follow him on Twitter. He's a delightful young man. He is. 
He's, yeah, really charming. Okay, so, um, <laughs> anyway, taking this back to the, the Love and War, I think, is an interesting comparison. Uh, there's a part of me that wants to recommend this over Love and War, because I think it's interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, I would be okay with that. I mean, under Vader down, and that, and then I'm happy, you know. I have to agree, because I, I like Vader down more. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think Vader down does... Has his interesting arc where he's trying to like redeem himself to the emperor. He's hunting all this stuff down. And and yeah. better art, easily better art in Vader. Yeah, Down. It's yeah. Cleaner, it's cleaner and you know. Uh, but if we're going by art, then I think Love and War is probably a little bit better than. That's true. Than uh than uh, Infinity. <laughs> yeah, I uh, blinked out there for a moment. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I would get behind that, and I do think we should put it above. Uh, War of Kings, because War of Kings kind of was a big nothing. It's a lot of convoluted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm fine with that. So that would now go in at number 54 between Hercules Love and War and the War of Kings story. And I think that's actually going to do it for this week's episode. So uh, our next episode, like we're recording a bunch of these in advance. Our next episode after this will go up in the week, I think, between Christmas and New Year's. And so we are going to do a little bit of, of holiday reading. I'm actually pretty excited about these stories. Uh, like we did last year, we each kind of picked a single issue Christmas story that we're going to read for the podcast. Uh, John, unsurprisingly, picked Hawkeye, issue that number 17. It could have been anybody's pick. Come on. It could have been, but it was yours. It actually could have been mine because this is the book that... Uh, Chris Eliopoulos drew, and I like Chris Eliopoulos a lot. I'm I'm really excited to revisit this. I have not read this, I don't think, since it came out. And so, I, I've revisited the earlier volumes of Hawkeye a lot. I don't think I've read the ending again since it came out, and this is close to the end. So I'm, I'm really excited to read that. Uh, I picked the GLXmas, which is a Christmas special uh, featuring the Great Lakes Avengers... A team that I have no familiarity with other than Squirrel Girl was a part of it. So that'll be interesting. Uh, and Aldo selected Spider-Man's Tangled Web uh, from 2001, issue number 21. What's the title of this one again, Aldo? Twas the Fight Before Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got it's got some Darwin Cook artwork. Love no, that no, Darwin he's Cook. a writer. Oh, is Darwin he's Cook the writer? Yeah, not the artist. Well, it looks like he did the cover. Yeah. Okay, that's why I was looking at the cover, and that's Darwin Cook. Love Darwin Cook as, a, as an artist, so I'll be interested to see him as a writer. I don't think I've... No, he wrote uh, DC New Frontier, I believe. Yes. Andrew. Yes. Oh, and what am I kidding? He, he did yeah. Parker the Hunter, too. He's, I've read Darwin Cook as a writer. I was thinking, I was like, I know him I know him from something and like immediately loved him. What was it? Oh, New Frontier. Yep, there you go. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Darwin Cook is a, Darwin Cook is a goat. Uh, who would have who would have seen that coming? John picking a Hawkeye book, me picking a Star a Spider Man book, and Stephen picking some random bit from the back issue bin. Yep, we're nothing but true to form. Indeed, we are who we are. Nothing if not predictable. <laughs> yep. And with that, I think we're going to conclude. Uh, John Aldo, I'm not actually going to talk to you again for about a month. Yeah, it's going to be weird. Yeah. Good riddance. I mean, have a great trip. Fun. That's times. my favorite Green Day song. <laughs> <laughs>